Happy Tuesday. Good morning, everybody. It's the 9th of May, 2023. And that means... It's Retrieve's birthday. It is. Happy birthday, Retrieve. Happy birthday, Retrieve. Thank you for going for all the things that Papa loves. We're grateful. We are grateful. For you and how you live your covenant. So happy, happy birthday. Yeah, it's a wonderful day. A wonderful day for a birthday. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Counting of the Omer? Yes. Day, day 33. Th- yes. Ta-da. Yes. We're in one accord, aren't we? Mm-hmm. <laughs> All kinds We've of good both things. Got happen. our counts right. That's good. Yeah, it's a nice day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have to gather tonight. We do. We do. We're gonna praise God. We are. Yeah, and we are fresh off of a college graduation last night. Oh yeah. Yeah, our we, popsy girl graduated from mm, NSU. Our daughter is yeah. a graduate. Yeah. Way to go, Aaron. Way to go. <laughs> carry on (laughs) (laughs) that's a good thing yeah so yeah it's um may the 9th the 9th of may so it is actually been interesting around we've had our rain we don't have april showers we have may showers (laughs) all right so it's may showers bring june flowers yeah well we did have april April showers too, but what we had was a very mild, lovely spring, and then ninety degrees. It's warmed up. Yeah, it's warmed up. So it could be a lot hotter, though. It I mean, could be a lot hotter. A lot hotter. We're not complaining. Not. A, it's really kind of nice. We're there's basking. Been, there's been some breezes. Oh yeah. We have some clouds. We have some blue sky. We yeah, have a we nice got combination. it. We got it good. I don't feel. We are very contented. Yeah. I could do this. This is good. Mm-hmm. And all the trees are so happy here. They are. The grass is happy. The flowers are happy. It's such a miracle just to see trees. I love trees. Yeah. Trees are good. Yeah. And our little garden. We're having some farm to table around here. It's That's so right. cute. That's right. We're going to harvest some salad for us today. That's right. Yeah. And you keep bringing me cilantro. I do. Yeah. That That will not... That will not be long because cilantro doesn't last as long, but it starts bolting when it gets hot. But Boo. but I stored it. I've yeah, got a cute little container, and you have cilantro for your salsa. Yeah, so we make salsa. Yeah. Tossa salsa. Yeah, that was a very, the kids, the, the grandies, they wanted to plant all the things Pappy needed to make salsa. And so they're very invested in this garden. Focus on mm-hmm. priorities. Yes. Speaking of the college graduate, she likes salsa too. Mm-hmm. Yes, it disappears whenever she comes over. It's how you know she's been here, along with knives with peanut butter still on them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sassy. Yes, she is. Okay, well, so I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm, <laughs> I am going to be doing another one of those review days. And the reason we have a review day is sometimes things come up from different areas. Like if we, if we have interactions that are multifaceted, sometimes they don't relate, but oftentimes they do. And so you, you hear one person say this, and it might be someone we don't even know, like it's, it's someone in town, but not someone we know. And then someone that we do know will say this, and then all these different things, and we put them all together. And God says, time for a review, but it ends well. It's a good review. So um, one of the things that is so in the foundation of who we are, I actually had to look at Terraforming for the Kingdom, you know, the first book, and just see some wow. of these. It's an like, oldie but a goodie. Yeah, like these 15, you know, maybe not 16, but definitely 15-year-old things that Elohim was saying so it's been around for a long time, some of these, but the more obvious, of course. But we know that God is love, and that love is not forced upon anyone. Love must be freely chosen. And while you would think, gosh, you know, why do we keep having to say that? I think that's, that, that's just a foundation of who we are. It's something that, that you would think we don't need to repeat very often, but 
yet we do. So God is love and love is not forced upon anyone. Love is freely chosen. And it's that freedom that is so important to God because God wants people who can choose. And so God is not a God that threatens us. God is a God that calls us, invites us, welcomes us, wants us to come, hopes that we'll choose, hopes that we'll say yes. So God doesn't demand that we have our own personal intimate relationship with Elohim. God hopes that we will. God desires that we will. God wants us to and welcomes us to and makes a way for us to have our own personal intimate relationship. But the the thing is, is, you know, the religion won't allow that. The religion is like, no, no, no. You know, you, you don't, you don't go directly to God. You go through other places. You go through a book or you go through people or you go through a building and that's the only way to God. But the reality is, is that we can have our own relationship and that's really what God wants and it's it's not that um, it's not that God refuses the other routes. It's just that God really wants us to come straight to God, and then we have this wonderful intimacy. And so we know that um, Saul had a dependency upon Samuel for a relationship with God. But that's that's not the royal house that God blessed. God's like, no, I, that's not what I want. I don't want a king who goes through a, a, a priest like Samuel. I want, I want a people who will come directly to me and have intimacy with me. And then we get to have those interactions that mean so much. So one of the things that we know is that all people have an irrevocable gift and call of God. So we're called to do something by God. That's Romans eleven twenty nine. So the question that that sort of intersects with some of the things that I'm hearing from you know people we don't know and people we do is well, how do we know what our call is? And like you know, your call may be different than another person. In in what Bible verse do I need to read to know what I'm supposed to do? And, and I feel like the, the real answer to that is, is that we don't read it, we, we hear it, we talk to God. So this is Matthew 25, verse 14 through 15. So, um, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. So when we hear that, for some reason, there are many people in the church, and this is like... This is like many people throughout the world who believe that, that and, and they may not say this, but really what they believe is that the man who went on a journey wrote down instructions for his servants, like he wrote them down, you know, but that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said he called them. Like he, he called them. It was a, it was a verbal thing. The, there was a conversation that took place and it's implied by the word called. Jesus is saying the man called his servants and entrusted to them his property. So how they knew what they were called to do came from the the one that they worked for. In, in this case, the servants worked for the man and the man called them to let them know. So to one, he gave five uh, talents of property, the other two talents of property, and to one, uh, he gave one talent of property, so one measurement of property. So there were different things that each one was called to, but the only reason they knew who got what is because they had a conversation with the one who was entrusting it to them. And that's so obvious, and I know that it is, and yet, here we are. So, it's so glorious to just keep refreshing on these things, is that is that God wants to have that conversation with you to say, hey, um, what do you think about this? This is pretty good, and, uh, and that it can be something that you can talk about. So, um, we know that there's a history with intimacy in the church, and it's just true that for uh, many generations, we've had this recurring issue where, and what, what Elohim has said to me is that there were, there were fathers who did not bond with their sons, and their sons did not feel that, um, that 
that comfortability in intimacy, the sons who felt isolated, the sons who were not nurtured and did not have that bonding that took place. And so it wasn't easy for them to hear God's voice, and they didn't really know how to hear God's voice, and so began hiding behind the Bible. So the scriptures or the Bible became sort of a source. And um, and instead of talking to God, it, it we using the God, we using the book to sort of be the intermer- intermediary. Did I get that right? Intermediary. I think so. Okay. As far as I know. So, what did Jesus say in Matthew seven verse seven through eight? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. So we are called to pray. Now that's the easy word that everyone can say yes to. Of course we're called to pray, but we're not just called to ask. We're not just called to say, Lord, this is what I need, or this is what I want. Of course we do, but it's not only that. It's also that dialogue, that sharing with God what's on your heart, pouring out those things that you're experiencing, processing emotions with God, and of course, the big one, which is listening, listening to what God has to say. And um, that can sometimes be um, simply asking God a question and, and feeling the presence of God and knowing that God is with you and saying, yes, that's exactly right. That's what's going on right now. And, or asking God, hey, I, I need to know what to do and I need to know where to go and where God is going to be in motion because we asked. So the last bit is um, the next sort of round of this has been um, asking God about whether to do something or not. And this, this wrestle with how God knows what is best. God knows what is the best for us. God is working through billions of people with free will. And when you have billions of people with free will and you're wanting love to prevail, you don't want hatred to prevail, you don't want selfishness that decays, you want love that is full of life, and that's because God wants the best for us. God wants us to have love. So, but when it comes to choices, like, like let's just say, for example, I'm choosing between, and I'm laughing here, but I'm choosing between a Toyota car or a um, Chevrolet. And, and so it's like, you know, here's my choice. And, and, I, and what happens is, is sometimes religion remains and we feel fear. Like, I'm so afraid I'm going to choose the wrong car, and then it's going to blow up on me, and I'll have a lemon, and I'm going to have to take it to the shop all the time because I didn't make the right choice. And, and then there's all of this fear and all of this pressure and all of this burden and all of these things because we have to ask God, and I'm afraid that I'm going to get it wrong, and these kinds of things. When that it it misses the point, is there a best choice between the two cars? You know, and and or um, or could both be best choices, right? And all of that misses the point. The whole point is about the time with God, the intimacy with God. It's it's all about that God is drawing us to Elohim so that we can share these things with each other. This is what's precious is it's it's so God doesn't want us to be crushed under the weight of burden. God doesn't want us to be crushed under the weight of getting it right or getting it wrong. God wants us to be intimate. That's it. God wants us to be with God. And God is so powerful and so full of grace that that I've got a new phrase for us. Are you ready? If we miss it, God will fix it. (laughs) If we miss it, God will fix it. Now, I'm not saying it's a tattoo, but we've got to repeat this. If we miss it, God will fix it. Don't take on the pressure of having to get it right. 
Have intimacy with God. Take the time with God. This morning at four o'clock or three o'clock, or I don't know what time it was, but it was really early. But I'm with Elohim and I'm under the tallit. And I, you know, it's not every morning anymore, but it's it's many mornings. And this morning it was. And I'm under the tallit and I'm just having this glorious conversation where the presence is there. And I feel so surrounded. And I know that what matters is simply that we're together. It's, I mean, we could have been talking about the theme song to Gilligan's Island, right? It doesn't matter. We were together. That's what mattered. And so I'm sitting there and I'm in the presence of God and I'm so full of joy, not because God's told me something spectacular, but because we're together. And if, if we can uh, lay down the pressure of getting it right, if that could be our week, maybe if we spent part of this week just saying, Lord, I lay down the pressure of getting it right. I just want to be with you. And yeah, I mean, we'll talk, we'll, we'll, you know, we may have some major choices. We might have some things we're afraid of and, and we want to process that with God. We want to do all the things that we always do, but, but the, the savor is just that we're together. And so we remember that religion is trying to make us perfect so that we're without flaw. But teleos in Greek really means more than without flaw. It means maturity or the fullness of age, which means that if we choose perfection in God, we're choosing a journey of, of maturing every day. And we mature every day through experience. And so have experiences in love life. Just know this, you can lay down the pressure. You don't have to get it right. If we miss it, God will fix it. And Elohim cares most about that moment that you're just, we're together. And you know, you don't have to be under, under a tallit at three or four in the morning to have that moment. Amen. Yeah. I mean, I'm having it right now. I'm just sitting here, just connecting with the presence of God because we can do it anytime. We can do it in the car. We can do it when we're talking. We can do it when we're driving. We can do it when we're showering. I mean, anytime. Just connect with God without pressure and don't worry about it. That's what matters is that we get to have that time with God and God's in motion to, to complete every incomplete place and to, um, and to bring fullness to every place that we're aching for right now. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. Well, I want to touch just quickly on something from last week where we talked about overturning what did not belong and establishing what does. And, you know, I just had a simple testimony where I, I came upon something the past few days where I had uh, just, when there were a lot of different things to look at, I, I was a bit careless in my consideration of something in trying to get some things accomplished. And, and I realized that I could ask Elohim to overturn my carelessness and establish, um, establish consideration, establish all that got, you know, walked around in the carelessness, anything that got missed in that carelessness, that could be overturned and what could be established was Elohim's intent all along. And that was to consider the things that Elohim considers. And it was just, you know, I I don't have the whole picture yet in front of me. I just have the joy of that overturning and that establishing. And so the overturning isn't always like what feels like this big mammoth thing. It can be the simplest thing. Oh, I was careless in in this choice. And now you can overturn my carelessness and establish a place to abide in what you really intended, and that can become so. So it just felt pretty miraculous to me to have that moment and wanted to share that. I appreciate you sharing that. I'm actually having a, a moment as you're doing it, <laughs> because in the first grade, oh gosh, okay, Miss Hazel Riggs, 
I love that you remember every single teacher's name that yeah. you ever had. She's the sweetest person. Especially Hazel Riggs, goodness. But when we, we would be like writing, we were learning to write, and if you went below the lines, she would circle it and say, careless. <laughs> so I'm going to surrender to the sorrow. Okay. I mean, it didn't really bother me, but I just had this moment where I'm like, wow. But it does now. I, I, yeah, that word and I are not quite uh, intimate because it's... it it. It has a, a bad history, so I'm okay. gonna, I'll deal with that. Thank okay. you for sharing. You're, you're that. very really, welcome. It is really cool, though. Just yes. here to help. That's all I'm here for. Um, okay, so here on day 33 of the Omer, I have a little bit of review to do as well, and I don't know that I can even get you to where uh, this was first talked about, shared, but um, it's got to be, yeah, maybe restoration. I don't know. Sorry, I should... Yeah, have that. That's what. That's why I write the library. So anyway, um, so part of the the Omer, the counting of the Omer, this journey on the way to Shavuot is this daily recounting of the Word of God, and it's certainly, um, you know, reading different scriptures, different passages. You can find, you know numerous variations of what what passages to read on what day of the omer and and I love that so much um but the counting of the omer is a deeper gaze than that it's deeper than just reading these words that were given to us it is a daily recounting of how those words are alive in us. And if they aren't, being able to consider them with, with such, um, such attentiveness to, to really taste them and see what do they mean to us. Like, not just recounting and in, in speaking them out, but recounting what do they mean to us? How, is, how have these words impacted our life? How are they alive? And how are they a description of how Elohim is living in our circumstances? That's, that's part of the counting of the Omer is the reality of these words in our lives, that they are, they're alive. And so, you know, part of this journey to Shavuot is the giving of um, the giving of the Torah, the the transmission of it, the relating it to to all, so it was accessible to all. And Torah means instruction, and um, within it there are different parts. There are the five books of Moses, um, and then there are the which is called the and I'm going to butcher it, Pentateuch, mostly. And, uh, and then it has the Nevi'im, which is the books of the prophets, and the Ketuvim, which is Psalms, Lamentations, Proverbs. And these scrolls, you know, so the Torah was um, placed on parchment and in a scroll, and it was rolled, and it, it has a, the the scroll has a crown on the top, and oral tradition says that when Moses met with the Lord on top of Sinai, that what he witnessed being written by the finger of God was actually crowns on each word. And, and what that meant was that he saw that the Lord was making his word recognizable that it was something that we would be able to recognize and let live you know not not just ink on page but become alive and um so the scrolls were kept in the ark of the covenant um and they were it was written and there was a very precise number of words each of those words were seeds and so in the Torah, there's the written law, and then there's the oral law, and always interchange that word law with love, is the written love letter and the oral expression of that love. So the oral law is what, what grows from those seeds. So on the mount, on Mount Sinai, Moses experienced the word. 
He experienced the living word, the alive, moving, present, ever for the benefit and on behalf of word. And and this was, the word was living, it was God. The word was God. And so when Moses transmitted the Torah to the people, he didn't only give the words that were written, but all he learned by heart, all that was engraved upon on his heart in those moments. The, the oral expression was what, what he didn't write down. It was what it all came to mean to him in those moments. And that was also passed from generation to generation, more than um, the, what was in the books, but what the books meant to him, what it meant to him that this was um, his story and what he was part of, and that it was a living experience, not a not a concrete expression. So, and that was the heart in that transmission was that the people would experience for themselves this this life and no longer fear love. So this. This moment made everything living, growing. It was like this organism of wisdom. That the the insight, the knowledge, every part of this would grow in the waters of relationship. That it would all grow. Every one of those seeds would sprout and grow in Moses and grow in the people. So it would be forever alive. It would be eternally there growing in their hearts and their minds and coming coming from those places from their mouths and so that was what what Moses that was that moment for Moses was this expression of this is what it means to me this is um so I'm going to live differently because of this encounter, because of this experience. And for the people who were afraid of that encounter, that that offering was still there. And so from what, what was now engraved on Moses' heart, they had that same invitation to have their own experience, their own uh, encounter with this living this living word with with uh, to be a field for every seed and let it come to mean something to them. So the entire nation witnessed what happened at Mount Sinai, and then there would be the wilderness where every individual could discover the meaning of it. So the the immensity of this word to a nation then could be experienced and the meaning could be discovered in the wilderness. And, you know, Moses instructed them. He, he transmitted these instructions on many things. You know, one of those was to believe the prophets. And we've had so many different views of what that means. And essence of it is the prophets were those who walked the way made for them faithfully. They lived the Word. They lived the Word of God. They didn't just give the Word of God to people. They lived it. They were there to live it and reveal what it meant to them in the midst of everything. So one of the questions, just like the manna that would come in the wilderness and that question, what is this? And that question was really, who is he to me? today? How did I, how did this taste? What was the flavor? What was the fragrance? What did this mean to me? Um, How did I experience God through the provision that was given? Um, There was a question also about the Torah, which was, how did this get to us? So there was this constant recounting of that moment at the mountain. You know, we, we have come through a world where uh, everything is doubted. Um, you know, did a man really land on the moon? Uh, you know, uh, did Elvis really leave the building? You know, there's just these things that become um, the conspiracies and and all of those things. And I don't poke fun at that at all. I just draw us to the truth that this recounting these these uh, questions lead us to 
to the truth. You know, how did this get to us? And they were recounting, you, you know, this is these are those moments, and this is where we were, and this is what we felt, and this is what we experienced, and this is how we were changed. And, you know, no one can take that from you. No one can take your experience with with God from you. No one can take that experience, that encounter with the living God, with the the living, growing Word of um, who He is, what is sown, what has been sown in for you to discover, and. So that's part of the the power of this recounting is this is who he is. This is not only who he is, it's who he's always been and it's who he will always be. And you become so firm in that foundation of of the reality of God and the the livingness of God that he's alive and moving and um and moving for you, not just um not just the the overall big picture, but your your little picture that feels so incredibly big, you know, to each of us as we're looking at it. So, I want to just review this: that um, those first five books of the Torah, the Pentateuch, and um, and its connection to the Ketubah, which is the marriage uh, covenant, the the outline of the marriage covenant. So the Ketubah has five parts also, and I just feel to review this because we're on our way to the moment where the love story could not just be told but lived in Shavuot. So the first first portion of the Ketubah details the purpose of the document. It includes the family tree of the groom and the bride, and it tells the stories of their family and the intent for them to be together, for them to become one family. And that mirrors, so the Ketubah was created from these first five books, the books of Moses. And so that mirrors Genesis, which means beginning. And what is told there is Elohim's desire for love to be real. And when it's real, it's completed. There has been um, a response and a drawing and a a recognition of what love is and who love is more truly. And so here is detailed the foundation of choice, which is love. And it has, Genesis includes the account of the families, so the groom's family and the bride's family that were designed from the beginning to come together and express complete love, the fullness of love, when love is is chosen, when love is met and melded together and, and this experience completes this experience of love completes it makes it evident makes it real in every arena in every bit of atmosphere love is real so that's the first part the second portion of the ketubah tells the history of the bride so it tells the bride's story up till now and that mirrors exodus which means names and exodus tells the story of a daughter's rescue from captivity her proposal of marriage and acceptance, her yes, and the journey of being prepared as the bride. It also recounts how the bride turned away, but the groom never did, and that the the journey of the bride was to tend to the heart, was to tend to everything learnt by heart, everything that was um, engraved. So then the third portion of the ketubah is the groom's history. So it tells the story of the groom, who the groom is, and the commitment to prepare a place for the bride. This mirrors Leviticus, which means he called, which is the story of the Levites, the groomsmen, who were preparing a place for the bride. All of the the cubits and all of those things of the temple and the but it was really about faithfulness 
to preparing a place where the bride could dwell with the groom. And it's modeled in, in the tabernacle, in the temple, and, and this invitation to tend to the presence of God, to tend to the presence that would never leave, that always wanted to be present and active and alive, moving, living. And something, uh, it, it reveals the longing of the groom for a bride who was not yet ready, but preparing anyway in this, this hope that she would, she would be prepared, she would be ready. And something amazing about the groomsmen <laughs> described in Leviticus is the Levites were imperfect, you know, they had one of the biggest blunders in the history of blunders, um, but yet they had a place of relationship. They had a place to dwell, to be restored to all that was in, in his heart for them. So the fourth portion of the ketubah is the story of how the bride and groom met. And not just how they met, but why this this choice was here, how this choice was precious and sacred, that they chose each other. And that mirrors numbers, which means in the desert. And so this is the path of the wilderness or the love story of the wilderness where the word came alive, where everything came alive. So this is where each person experienced what was what was spoken to the nation began to experience it personally. Two censuses were taken um, in in this place, and and that those weren't a counting of heads; they were a calling of remembrance, you know. And it was this this really sacred space because it was revealing that the dowry was kept safe. The dowry was kept safe. It was given for her. And Numbers reveals the great care that was given to choosing the groom that would fulfill every promise, the groom that would love the bride as the father loved the daughter. A description of the lover who never lets go, that despite condition, covenant is always there. It's always there. And that love is eternal and it's unconditional. It tells the story of a wild lover who has given a trust that that the bride would respond, would be able to respond. And that's such a, a huge part of choice, right? Is that is is that that call, that cry to be able to respond, to always be able to respond. That's that's choice. It's the ability to respond to who Elohim is in that moment, in that day, in that situation, in that circumstance, that's, that's the foundation of choice that comes from love. So then the fifth portion of the ketubah outlines the responsibilities of the groom and bride before and after the wedding. Again, this being able to respond, that's choice to respond daily to an unfolding yes, to be able to respond each day. Choice is a line, not a lock. Choice doesn't lock us and trap us. It creates a line. It reminds us of the line that we're in, the line that we are of, the, the from the beginning of us and the everlasting of us, that He will always keep us. The Lord will always keep us. There's a meaning, uh, there's a word for choice, which is bakar, and one of its meanings is to be drawn. A choice before us calls us to draw near, not to get it right, but to choose, to consider, to explore with Elohim, because the best is Elohim. So when the source of our choice is choice itself, then it's all about relationship. It's all about, you know, what you already said, that, that dialogue, that interaction, that experience, just as Moses had on the mountain where the word became alive. And so choice isn't like trying to follow 
a lot of rules so that we stay safe and don't mess up, but it's to, to follow the line of Christ, to be, uh, to be reconciled to the line that we're in, the line that we're of, the place that we're from, to be drawn back to it and to be able to see with the Lord what is there instead of, um, it's, it's all about source. What is the source of our choosing? Who is the source of our choosing? And that's the choice, who our source is. He will not offer us a stone. He will not offer a stone when we ask for bread. He will faithfully um, fill the table, fill our plates, fill our mouths with the best of, of who, who Elohim, who they are. So then uh, Deuteronomy mirrors this, or that fifth portion mirrors Deuteronomy, which means words, which outlines the faithfulness of God and gives words or instructions to help the people work, no, rest, to help the people rest and dwell in their choice of Elohim, in their choice of the fullness of who God is, because that's the menu, that's what's offered the fullness of who Elohim is. Deuteronomy retells or rereads the love letter that Moses uh, read on Mount Sinai, and it's, it's offered to a younger generation, those entering the promise. Um, there's no penalty assigned here. It's all about the faithfulness of the one who wrote the letter, the one who from the beginning had the intent for love to be completed. And just a reminder about this letter, this letter roars with love. It's, it's not uh, those, the, you know, what we call the Ten Commandments are not a list of don'ts, but don't forgets. It says things like, if you steal, you won't ask for the provision I have. If you commit adultery, you'll forget your first love. If you covet, you will compare and miss all I have for you. If you forget my name, you will forget who I am, who I am to you. If you have other gods, you'll forget the image and likeness you carry. You will forget God with you. If you lie, you won't recognize the truth that sets you free. And if you murder, you won't understand the the sacrifice that is coming to be given for you. You won't understand sacrifice. You won't understand that drawing near. These words in this letter are also a reminder of something. On a wedding night in history, a bride would ask her husband how she could best express her love to him. He would then reveal his heart to his new bride and reveal also his longings and his aches. He would ask that she have no husband but him, that she not be careless with his name in the community, and that a day would be reserved each week for time together to discover more of each other, a date night. Um, He would ask that she would not commit adultery or bear false witness And these weren't rules, they were ways to continue to express undying love to each other, ways to express our heart to God. And I feel like that's so the assault in our days is, in the day we're in, is um, that we would feel trapped, that we would feel like we don't have choice, that we would feel... um, foolish for expressing this kind of love, for meeting love in this way and completing it with our response, completing completing who love is by coming with such a response that, that reveals to the world who God really is, who Elohim really is by expressing who Elohim is to each of us. We are married to very good And this union calls us to reconcile the broken reality of where we are to the beauty of where we are rooted. We are called in the wilderness to dissent from all that might make a mess of the idea of this matrimony. 
Our wedding vows aren't to the groom alone, but all the groom loves, neighbors, relationships, community, and the land upon which they are lived. All these things are from love, so everything can be love. And our, um, our sweet choice is to be satisfied in such a place that we can fall afresh daily into love. So we can be stirred to consider what we may have fallen for or where we've fallen to, and that invites our return. There's always the place for return. We are here to hover with hope and reimagine that chamber, that place prepared as kinder than it may have been in our journey so far. Though that we have a deep dissatisfaction with the broken reality, this recounting, this season we are in reminds us that we are rooted in a different one, and there is no discontent with the one that saves To remember, to recount, involves our entire being. It means to do past events again, to recreate our wedding day, to create, recreate that moment and completely identify with and participate in the powerful effects of the original event. We've just come from Passover, which is that invitation to recount this story as if you lived every part of it because you did. David reveals this to us. David, who is a a huge personality in Shavuot, he died during the festival of Shavuot. And while we have this one expression of Shavuot, this transmission of the Torah, we also have Pentecost, which is when fire crowned every word. And it all came alive. David revealed the fire that came to the Word. He had such an ardent love for God and God's people, every creature, all of creation. When we read the story of David, we always, you know, in the beginnings, find him in creation, with creation, not just tending to sheep and to cattle, but to creation itself, because he so loved all that God made. So he had this amazing way he cared for the sheep. He didn't just watch them and make sure they stayed where they were meant to. He actually had a way of um, tending to their nourishment. So, for instance, the young lambs he took to fresh, tender grass. They had no teeth, so but they still needed to eat. And so they would go to the place where they could just nibble on the delicate tips and get nutrients from them. After they had fed, David would move them and he would bring in the oldest sheep and cows with weak teeth so they could eat on the part that comes after those delicate tips were nibbled and chew the middle part which was soft enough for their weaker teeth. Then they would be moved and then the grown or mature maturing sheep and cattle would chew the lowest part of the grass near the roots. And so he was always watchful for what would most nourish or that they would each have the best part, the part they needed. He also chased away enemies and rescued the flock that had become prey. And even after his anointing, he went back to his sheep. And there he wrote music and songs and stories of experiencing God. These songs and stories actually traveled across the hills of Judah, and whoever it was said in oral tradition that whoever heard them felt as if their soul was awakened, the sad were filled with joy, the downcast had revived hearts, those with lost hope had reimagined faith. The living word, the word alive in him, all he learnt by heart, this transmission of the Torah affected the world around him. And that's the same is true for us. The songs and stories that come from our experience of who God is can travel the hills of wherever we are and awaken souls, fill the sad, the grieving with joy, uphold the downcast so their hearts are revived, and reimagine faith for those who have lost hope. That's what the living word does. 
when it pours from us, when it's alive in us. There's an interesting aspect of the Psalms in that it has five parts, like the book of Moses. And there are these, um, these setting aparts of them where there's seven parts for each day of the week and 30, 30 portions for each day of the month, just meaning the Psalms can be recited within a 30-day circuit as we go through as we go through time, these things, these words, these songs, these moments that scholars and prophets studied for generations and generations are part of our story still today. So uh, David established many peace treaties with neighbors, with his neighboring nations. And he had a moment where Hiram, the king of Tyr, sent his best builders and artists to erect a splendid palace and beautiful mansions. And David was disturbed inside him that the ark still was lodged in a tent with only screens. But the Lord said the temple was not his to build. But even so, he still had choice. The choice was to respond to who God was to him and how he wanted him to be seen and known and experienced. And so he began to collect materials and the provision to pay or the dowry for the temple. Gold, silver, copper, stones, and woods, he put all of those in the care of the treasury. And he even created the order of service for the priests, for the Levites. David, who had known exile, persecution, trials and triumph. He prepared the way for all that was to come through his relationship with the Lord, through the understanding of being offered the best in every moment, whether it was a stone for a bear, whether it was a stone for a giant, his choice for God was always unfolding and what he needed to live that choice was given in every moment that he needed it. And he also was very aware of what the enemy would say in the wilderness, in those places that can feel like exile. But even greater, he knew the word of God for his life, what God spoke to him. He knew the dialogue they had. He etched it upon his staff. He told those stories. He recounted those stories from wilderness to wonder so that he lived the word of God in his life. He lived his yes. And we get to do the same. What amazing joy it is to know the faithful God who is romantical. Yeah, it's all a love story. And is singing this love story song. And um, yeah, it changes everything when you see God as love and not as just another person who's mad at you. Yeah, and everything everything we're living right now, it's, it's this story just told. It's the, the covenant story. It's that the ketubah. It's the living out of a proposal and a preparation and the unfolding yes that we have to respond, to be able to respond. That's our responsibility, not a list of you have to's and and all of that, but but if there's anything that keeps me from being able to respond, would you overturn it? Like, would you overturn it and establish my view of, of not only being able to respond, but longing to do that with my whole heart? Because we miss that too. Like, what do we desire? What do we desire first? Who do we desire first? That's our choice. Everything else comes from that place. Yes, and amen. <laughs> All right, we will see you at Together live streaming. See you then. Or in person if you're here.